OHL hockey is back. This is the Farwell and Vogue podcast. Originating from the 570 News Studio in Kitchener. Here are your hosts, Mike Farwell and Chris Pope. Well, we are fulfilling our podcasting promises on this episode because we always say that what makes our podcast unique is that we take you on the road with us to every rink that we visit. And having just finished the Eastern Swing through Ottawa and Kingston, we are literally on the road right now coming home from St. Catharines where the Rangers were whooped 10-2 to by the Ice Dogs. But on the QEW as we record tonight. Uh, your seat warmer's underneath the popcorn you brought from the rink tonight. <laughs> well, I had to bring popcorn from the rink after you bought pizza slices at the rink. And I don't mean to pick on our fine friends within the Niagara Ice Dogs organization, but bowls of soup and cups of coffee were what was available in the media room. I skipped both and went straight for the bottle of water and the pizza slice that you bought, and I bought the popcorn later. I went with the soup. It was pretty good. I got no problem with the soup. It's a meal. It's something. It's not a lot. If you want more, go buy it. We wanted more. All we, we, we always talk about the media room food, and we always say, all we really need is a cup of coffee and a slice of pizza. I think a bowl of soup's a little healthier. I had two. Quite delicious. But then, you know what? I worked hard today, so I went for a slice of pizza, too. And it was pretty good. I enjoyed the pizza very much. So as we are on the road here tonight, finishing up a four-game road trip with the Kitchener Rangers, but the cities we have gone through, Ottawa, top team in the OHL, and just moments ago, we left the Meridian Center in St. Catharines, home of the Ice Dogs, who were slapped with sanctions for recruiting violations. So you know where you're getting the biggest and the best and the most relevant and topical guests, and that's right here. We've got general managers, Joey Burke and James Boyd on this podcast. Did I mention that sponsorship opportunities are still available? Niagara, Joey Burke, Ottawa, James Boyd. My name's Chris Pope. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore Chris Pope. He's Mike Farwell. You can follow him on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. Two huge guests this week and two great interviews. We had James Boyd in studio, so his is a little more extended, but some great insight to his time in the league, both as a player and a coach. He's been a coach in three cities. He's been a player in three cities. And then we get Joey Burke. Obviously, the big story around the OHL is these sanctions and everyone trying to figure out what did they do, what what happened. It's the same type of thing we saw in Windsor when Windsor got slapped with their sanctions. What did they do? Who did they try to pay? It all comes down to money. That's what everybody assumes. And there's plenty of rumors out there, but I don't think we will find out the facts, much like we didn't find out the facts when it came to Windsor. So before we get to these interviews, there is something that's been kind of swirling around beneath the recruiting violations and sanctions in the league and there's not much that would compare but this is something that's been certainly on our minds since this road trip began last Friday night Rangers in Guelph not much of a roadie but it was away from the odd where we usually play on Friday nights and Isaac Langdon was on the receiving end of a check to the head from Alex Toropchenko and I want to say this even before we get into the conversation too much more deeply because I had even mentioned on the air that I was kind of enjoying Toropchenko's game. Was a little bit nasty? Was he, you know, throwing himself physically around in the game? Yeah, but that's the kind of guy that you'd really love to have on your team, kind of stirring the pot and, you know, poking and jabbing and going at players physically. So I don't want to make this sound like a 
you know, this is something that the Guelph Storm did wrong or Alex Toropchenko's a goon or anything like that. It just, it happened. He checked Isaac Langdon high. Langdon goes down, left the game, has not come back. Toropchenko was assessed a five-minute major and a game misconduct for his check to the head. And he has not been suspended for it. He missed one game. He missed one game for the check to the head of Isaac Langdon. Meantime, Isaac Langdon did not make the road trip with the Rangers for the rest of the weekend. He's still not back in the lineup. He's expected to miss this weekend. And I'm not even sure we should get into severity of injury equaling length of suspension. What I do think is if we want to send a message from this league that we want hits to the head out of our game, then this is not the way to send that message. I know there are some people that believe that it should be eye for an eye. That player then gets back into the lineup when the hurt player returns to the lineup. I don't agree with that because I don't think a lot of times that the hit or the injury because of it is a direct correlation to how dirty the hit was. Sometimes that is the case. In this case... I would be okay if it was a two- or three-game suspension because it was a principal point of contact to the head when he made the hit. I like the idea of the hit. I like Torpchenko stepping up in the neutral zone in a heated battle to make that hit. The only problem was that he made that principal point of contact with Isaac's head, and that is the type of hit that they're trying to get out of the game. But I keep going back to, you said he was suspended for one game. There's talk that there might be more. There's talk that, oh, it wasn't a suspension. This is, again, and I know I keep harping on it, but a way for the league to let everyone know. There was no tweet. There was nothing sent out, no email blast, nothing. So really, we're left with conjecture because we don't know the fact because the league didn't issue a statement saying that he was suspended. Their goaltender got suspended for spearing. It was all over Twitter, the spear into the groin area, the butt end. And was there a tweet about that? No. There was just something put up on the website. They got to start being better, being out in front of this type of thing, much like, and, and maybe a little more transparent, much like we will hear from our guest, Joey Burke, who's going through, you know, has been through some tough times this year, and we'll get more uh, from him about all of that. But at least he, you know, faces up, does the interview, talks about it, gets ahead of it. They issued a statement, the league issued a statement. Where's the statement when it comes to suspensions? I don't see why they're still not doing this. We can thank Tony Saxon, the longtime scribe covering the Guelph Storm, currently for GuelphToday.com. Tony was the one who let all of us know via his Twitter feed, Saxon on the Storm, that Toropchenko sat out a game and will not have any additional suspension for that hit on Isaac Langdon. So you mentioned two, three games, depending on intent, things like that. I was thinking more like five. I'll compromise with you and go for three games on a first offense. I really think that the league could and probably should treat this like it has treated fighting. Several years ago, the league brought in the rule on fighting. You fight 10 times in the season. You're suspended for a game. You fight after, I think it was 13 times, the suspension went up, etc., etc. And all of a sudden now, the fight card is down to three. Any more than three fights in a season, you're suspended for a game, and the suspensions go up from there for additional fights. I say same thing with head checks. I understand that it is a little bit different. I get it. You're going to drop the gloves with somebody. There's a little bit more time to make a decision that you want to do that. But I do believe if you say, and again, if I'm compromising on three, you say a check to the head, a penalty for checking to the head is a three-game suspension, period, 
and every additional check to the head is an additional game, two game. I don't care how you step it up, but you step it up for every additional check to the head. What will end up happening is players will no longer use the head as a principal point of contact when making a check. I disagree. I think that it's a, it's a dangerous slope and that that inches us closer to getting hitting out of the game. And I strongly believe hitting belongs in this game. There's not much of it left, but then you run into the problem where if I see someone trying to make a big hit, I duck my head. The principal point of contact is going to be the head. Yes, I'm taking my own safety uh, into my own hands by doing that because it's dangerous, but all of a sudden it's a head check and that person's gone for three games. It's a dangerous slope, I think. And... Uh, you, you got to take each separate head check into its own account because each separate head check is completely different. You see one like Toropchenko, it wasn't like he made like an elbow to the head where the, he was like, I'm going to go after this guy's head. It was a body check in the neutral zone, stepped up, the game is fast, Langdon was moving quickly, and it was unfortunate. I'm sure Toropchenko didn't mean to do it on purpose. If it's a purposeful, purposeful head check, well then yeah, throw the book at him as far as I'm concerned because that's extremely dangerous, especially with everything we know about head injuries. But I don't think Torp Chenko's intent was to hit Isaac Langdon's head. I think you're right about that, and I think you make a really interesting argument. So can we, if we don't agree on mandatory minimums for checks to the head, and like I said, I think you make a good argument, can we agree that one game is not enough? <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. Because, like, I'm, I'm almost okay with the Torbchenko one-game suspension. It was a head check. It wasn't intentional. Yes, it was against the rules. You get a suspension. I... I, I, like I always say, in, a, in an occasion like that where it's a, I'm just trying to take the body, and you know what, I got a little high, or you know Langdon ducked a bit, or bent bent at the knees, and my shoulder instead of going into the chest went to his head. I think that's a five and five in a game is fine. I really do. Um, each case has to be treated separate though, because I don't think you can lump head checks all together. They're, the game's so fast, and there's so many different styles of head checks. We saw one in the same game that went uh, unpenalized where Isaac Radcliffe who's what 6'6 left his feet and got high on Justin McPherson in the corner that to me is more dangerous than Toropchenko's open ice hit it just didn't have the same result earlier this season Carter Tresser on Ty Cartier of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds Tresser of the Kitchener Rangers five game suspension for Tresser and when you were making the point about that slippery slope of taking hitting out of the game that's where I'm starting to get sympathetic to your argument because as much as I've been that guy over the years saying I'm glad that fighting's out I'm kind of starting I hate to say it but I well no I'll just admit it I'm, I'm kind of starting to miss it a little bit I think there's that dynamic and that edge to the game that's lacking and I don't want to see hitting come out of the game so that's why I start to sympathize with your argument and after that Carter Tresser hit that cost him a five game suspension Rangers head coach Jay McKee who probably laid a few and received a few hits in his day playing 14 years in the National Hockey League said it's hard for me as a coach to tell a player to not go out and make the hit that Tresser made and Tresser got five games yeah I had I I was blown away that Tresser got five games back um earlier on in the season I thought it was a clean hit to be honest getting a second look at it the head snapped back but the principal point of contact in that hit was the chest it just resulted it looked bad because the head snapped back and that's where you run into issues and like uh, that hit wasn't the same as the Toropchenko hit or any other head check hit that's why I don't think we can actually just put a firm stamp on it uh 
dangerous plays, yes, but it's a dangerous game. And I get player safety. I get all of that. And I'm not one for the staged fights anymore. I, I've come around on that, but I do believe that there's a place for fighting in the game. And it does, you know, when you had two heavyweights, I remember when I played, you, we had a heavyweight on our team. And if there was a heavyweight on the other team, you were like, here we go. These two are going to end up going at some point. And when it's, when it's like a 5-1 game and they're going, that's the part where I'm like, okay, obviously there's no really need for that. If it's a 2-1 game late or if the team gets off to a hot start and it's 3-0 early and that, that fighter wants to, get, uh, wants to get his team going, I'm all for it. As long as that fighter can play the game, much like we saw in Kitchener with the likes of Connor Hall. Connor Hall was not scared to fight anyone in this league at any point of his career, and, but he could play the game. Those are the type of players that I think still belong. So I guess at the end of all of this, we remind the Ontario Hockey League, it's a really good idea to let your fans know what's happening in a disciplinary way in your league. Heck, even let the media know. Use Twitter. Use your email blasts to the media. Use your website, OntarioHockeyLeague.com, and post these things much as you may not want to. And perhaps the other thing we're seeing in this is that lack of consistency. Ten game, or Five games for Tresser, one game for Toropchenko. We've seen all kinds of varying penalties and supplemental discipline handed out for head checks so far this season, but such is the way it goes before we start going down that slippery slope. For lack of a better explanation, I know we're beating a dead horse. But I'm still going to beat this dead horse until they start fired off a tweet. It's 2019, for Pete's sakes. It's all we should have to ask for, really. And let's beat the horse until it's actually dead and the league finally comes around and welcomes the technology that exists here in 2019. Okay, the league did, in what we like to call in the industry, the Friday afternoon news dump. That's when information gets released to the media around four, maybe five o'clock on a Friday afternoon when most of the journalists have gone home for the weekend so nobody can call and follow up. And all of a sudden, we were already at the Sleeman Center in Guelph getting ready for the Storm Rangers game. And out comes the release from the Ontario Hockey League. Sanctions slapped on the Niagara Ice Dogs for recruiting Violations, a quarter million dollar fine and two first round draft picks in 2019 and 2021 taken away from the Ice Dogs for something that happened. And the team in its statement said or alluded to the fact that it happened years ago. And that's why they cleaned house in the management department and have moved on to where they are today. It's an interesting story. It's what everybody is trying to figure out what happened in Niagara. And of course, as soon as that news comes out, everybody starts making London Knights jokes. But the London Knights have not been penalized or sanctioned like the Windsor Spitfires and Niagara Ice Dogs have. What happened? I don't think we'll ever know. The Ice Dogs are appealing the situation. It's unfortunate for that franchise. They're taking the position of, like you said, that that's why we made decisions. But let's get right to the bottom of it when we talked to Niagara Ice Dogs general manager Joey Burke. Uh, Joey, obviously news coming out a little while ago and that seems to be uh, the big news around the OHL right now. So just a a chance to talk to you about it. How did you find out about uh, the sanctions that were coming down? Yeah, you know what? And and certainly first and foremost, I mean, unfortunately because we are appealing it, I really can't get in, you know, too, too in depth on everything. Um, But I will say, you know, we found out at this, or certainly I found out at the same time that you guys did. Uh, You know what? uh, 
at five minutes to five there on Friday. You know, I got the email and, and immediately, you know, my, my heart kind of stopped and, and obviously a very difficult thing to get, um, you know, so then the, the phone kind of blew up and, and everything went from there. But again, from our end, it, it came out of nowhere and, and was quite unexpected for sure. You talked about that's the reason in the statement that the team made, that's the reason that there was changes made in management with this organization. Is that to suggest perhaps there was a, a rogue GM or a rogue employee at some point? Um, you know, certainly not to, to kind of, you know, name names or get in anything of that nature. I mean, what I can kind of tell you, uh, you know, which is a fact, is that this scenario has nothing to do with any current staff members or any current players at all. Uh, you know, this is a, an issue from years ago, certainly before my time of, of any influence and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, so certainly uh, I'll kind of just leave it at that. But in the sense that I, I can certainly assure you, uh, you know, that it has nothing to do with our current staff, nothing to do with our current players whatsoever. Last question on it, real quick. Can you tell us what the appeal process is like? Do you know anything about that? What's what does that entail? Yeah, you know what we're uh, we're setting up some meetings with with the higher ups at the league now, and and we'll kind of gauge you know what the next steps are and, and how the appeal process you know will exactly work. Uh, but still, it's it's quite early kind of in that process, so we're still kind of going through some motions there. You talked about the phone blowing up. I'm sure it's a distraction you didn't need at this time of year as you're heading into a playoff run. <laughs> you know what, exactly. No kidding. And uh, it's funny for us. I mean, really, you know, it's not the first piece of adversity we've kind of had this year, you know, whether it be odd things of, you know, trades leaking out early, you know, or whatever it might be, or injuries or illnesses and suspensions. Uh, you know, so it's something we, we've kind of had to deal with, you know, as the season's gone on for us here. Um, but with that being said, you know, this one really was a, a punch in the gut. I mean, we're in the midst of a, a four-game losing streak we're in the middle of february the dog days of the year and you know to get news like this certainly was was quite deflating uh you know but billy and i addressed the guys addressed the team you know we let them know um you know again that that, that not to worry this has has absolutely nothing to do with the current in-house staff or players um you know and, and we move forward we're we're a family here in niagara and, and we're all on the same page we have the same end goal and we want to move forward uh, you know together uh, towards that you mentioned the trades leaking out. I'm sure other GMs have it too. Where there's rumors out there, or whether it's factual or not. But when you see deals leak out that you are currently working on, what goes through your mind? Yeah, you know what? It's very tough. And again, specifically with the one kind of with Stadnika and Broussard, and, and obviously that was out there about a month before it actually reached completion. It's very hard because I mean, while it it wasn't quite done when it leaked out, obviously there have been talks and the names involved were accurate. Uh, but again, you know, as soon as that first tweet goes out, now the agents and the parents and everyone's kind of phoning me and it's you know you're not quite at the point yet where you brought it to them or you know you want to worry about the no trade waivers and all that kind of stuff so I mean it really does kind of jolt you know how you do business and even with you know other teams if you're looking to bring in other guys well now they're going to go elsewhere because they think that you've made your bed with another team and it just really can be very disruptive you know in a number of ways um, you know but with that being said you know, after it kind of happened and, 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 you know, I spoke more with Oshawa, we were able to kind of finalize the deal. Uh, you know, then it was just, you know, making sure it was a great fit, uh, you know, for the players and, and making sure they were comfortable. There was absolutely no forcing anyone out. Uh, you know, it was actually quite contrary. I sat down with Leighton Moore, you know, and gave them both sides of the coin. I said, this is an opportunity that presented itself. With that being said, we love you here in Niagara and we are not bullying you. We're not forcing you out. If this isn't a move you're comfortable with, then we'll move forward amicably. We'll never speak of it again type thing. Uh, you know, but we're able to kind of get, you know, cross the T's and, and dot the I's that way and, and get it done. And, and certainly, you know, while Layton's going to be a, a heck of a player in this league, we're, we're very happy with what Jack and, and Matt have brought to us here. 
You know, I've got absolutely zero skin in the game, but I've come to kind of loathe the trade deadline because, or as it approaches, because I get hit with rumors all the time. Is this true? Is that true? How difficult do these leaks and rumors make your job as a general manager? Yeah, you know, quite difficult. Um, you know, and especially when you have certain accounts that, you know, seem to pretty accurately get these things right quite often. Um, you know, then it kind of gets you second guessing yourself. And, you know, you might have something lined up with the team and then you see players that you're targeting kind of flirted out there and rumors with other guys and that sort of thing. So it can be very disruptive. Uh, you know, while at the same time, you got to kind of trust in what you're doing and, and, you know, make sure you have backup plans if things kind of go away on you and, and you know, try and kind of handle those things the, the best you can. You talk about that deadline and that big deal with Oshawa. Before the deadline, much before the deadline, you made another big trade. Um, why did you pull the trigger then? You know what? Uh, a number of reasons. First and foremost, it was, you know, Jason Robertson. And obviously with Paquette, it was a, a nice big deal for us and, and really addressed some some much needed, you know, areas for us. Uh, but certainly Jason Robertson coming into the year was the number one guy. You know, Billy and I and our staff kind of looked at each other and said, when we get the opportunity to bring this guy in, you know, we got to strike while the iron's hot. And I certainly know, you know, and I think it was a good plan by Kingston to, to try and get something established early and, you know, not kind of wait and, and you know, hold your cards too, too long then all of a sudden you end up you know into January and teams have moved on or whatever it might be so we saw an opportunity uh, you know to, to acquire the player that, that really was our number one target uh, in the summer and, and you know we jumped at it and again you know from our end it was great for, for us to have Jason go to the World Juniors as a nice dog you know and have a month with him before he goes and then when he comes back it's not kind of a you know, a jamble of, of adding five or six players all at the deadline all at once. We've got a level of comfortability there. So we've had Jason Robertson and Paquette. You know, we had Laudney in the summer. It's kind of guys, while they're new to the team, they're not just January 10th acquisitions who come in and now you've got a completely different dressing room. Is that to suggest then, Joey, that the blueprint was for this organization coming into this season, we're going for it? Yeah, no, absolutely was. And, and certainly after we kind of saw, you know, the success that, that our 99s were able to, to accomplish last year, uh, you know, we really kind of felt, you know, we'd be set up very strongly this year. And then obviously we were able to, to get the law Neil one done. Now, of course, he's been out, you know, over half the year with an injury, so it's been you know, disappointing that way, uh, while at the same time we expect him back next week, which will be nice for us. Uh, you know, it's almost like a, a trade in, in early March, which will be nice. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's um, it's been a good one for us and add those guys. I mean, we knew what our direction was and, and you know, we kind of all looked at each other in November and said, yeah, while the, the price is hefty, uh, you know, this is our year to go for it and, and you know, we're prepared to, to make that sacrifice. Was there any ever hesitation on that price? That was a lot of draft picks. Yeah, you know, it, it is funny. You see the 11 draft picks. Even I have friends who have nothing to do with hockey at all. They're texting me going, what the heck is this? And all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, I, I'm certainly aware of that. And, and, you know, at the same time, you know, really, I, I was able to kind of round it out, you know, with a fifth and a seventh and 11th and a 13th. So, I mean, these are really, you know, kind of fluff picks, so to speak, where we've got multiples in those rounds in those years. So on paper, you know, I can see how people are quite taken aback at it. It is a big number, you know, no doubt about it. Uh, with that being said, you know, the way the, the deals really have been trending in this league is that it, it's kind of consistent to what the prices are. Now, this year maybe was a little bit different as things, you know, got got on, uh, you know, with themselves. But, uh, but certainly, you know, we're coming with what we have in-house and when we'll be turning it over that, that you know we'll be able to get those picks back and, and kind of keep moving forward that way. Nobody would argue the impact that Jason Robertson has made on this team, not to mention the other players you had at the deadline, but how do you as an opposing GM feel when you see 
up in Ottawa, Mikey DiPietro and Kyle Maximovich join an already powerful 67s team. Yeah, you know what? I, I certainly won't use the word, uh, you know, scared us or anything of that nature. Uh, well, at the same time, we're extremely cognizant of, of how strong that team is in Ottawa. And, and you know, really, we're going to need to be at our best, uh, you know, really with the way Sudbury and Oshawa have been playing, even to, to kind of get to that Eastern Conference final. So we'll worry about that first. But at the same time, you know, boy, their goaltending had been fantastic already, and then they bring in just the, you know, certainly arguably best goalie in the league, you know, certainly would be top two or three on, on anybody's opinion. Uh, you know, so it's good. You know, they've got a, a good roster, a good back end, some talented fast forwards. You know, they play the game, I think, that, that we kind of like to play as well. So, you know, if we're fortunate to get there, and, and they are as well, I think it could be a heck of a series for us. The relationship between a general manager and a head coach can sometimes be volatile. <laughs> I'm sure your relationship was volatile much as children growing up. What is it like having a head coach that's your brother? You know what? It, it, it's very funny. I think you hit the nail on the head there for sure. It, it actually becomes a great dynamic because Billy and I aren't shy with each other, obviously, as, as brothers wouldn't be. Uh, you know, So if, if one of us has an idea that the other one might not be on board with, then, then we're not shy to, to let each other know, you know, what are you thinking on that? Or, you know, I don't, I don't agree or, or whatever it might be. Well, at the same time, you know, I think we're – we're both kind of lucky that being brothers, we, we view things in a very similar way and, and you know, kind of address things, you know, with a, a similar mindset. Uh, you know, so at the end of the day, while the disagreements are there and, and they can get heated, uh, you know, we're pretty amicable with each other. And, and, you know, we really kind of have a firm grasp together on, on what the direction of the organization is. You mentioned earlier sort of the family atmosphere around this team, but the organization itself is family-run. Was there ever anything besides hockey in your life? Because you're still a pretty young guy. Yeah, you know what? It's it's obviously growing up in Canada. It's kind of at the forefront always. And, and you know, again, back in 2007, it, it, it came as a whirlwind surprise to Billy and I that, you know, my parents had kind of got the ice dogs and, you know, this is what they're thinking of doing. And, and it's funny, Billy and I literally on day one were in the wings of the Hershey Center at the time, packing up the Mississauga ice dogs of and skate sharpeners and all that and physically driving them to Niagara. So, you know, when we say we've kind of been in it since day one, it, it couldn't be truer. And, and again, you know, we're thrilled, uh, you know, to, to kind of have been dealt, um, you know, this hand and, and we're certainly trying to play it the best we can. Uh, but again, you know, we're, there's nothing we're more focused on or committed to than the Niagara Ice Dogs and the Ontario Hockey League. And, you know, it really is a, a joy and, and as stressful as it can be at times, uh, you know, it really is a dream come true to be able to come into the rink and, and you know, try and achieve what we want to as a team. You mentioned that time of packing up those bags. That's when your parents took ownership of it. You were in Niagara going to school at one point, and then all of a sudden you were with the Ice Dogs, and I think it was as a goaltending development coach, and now building your way all the way up to now general manager. What has that trajectory been like? Yeah, you know what? It's uh, it's certainly been a long one, you know what I mean? And and I mean, really, for the 12, 13 years we've been here, I mean, we started, you know, both of us really interning, and and obviously I was out in the the Tri-City areas at Laurier, uh, you know, while I was doing that, and, and just a fantastic region out there. I, you know, I really enjoyed my time. And then, you know, interned and, and you know, ran the goalie scouting, then took on a, a more influential scouting role. Uh, you know, then after I graduated, kind of came in and, and became the assistant GM for six seasons and, and you know, really worked with some, some good guys and, and, you know, figured some things out and then was able to take on the, the director of player personnel role for a year and, and you know, certainly had some success there. And, and now I've had a couple years uh, as GM under my belt. So it's been a, a long path and, you know, you try and learn things as 
as often as you can, obviously, and, and that sort of thing. And But again, you know, as, as every good GM, I think, uh, you know, around the league is, you know, you're still learning and you still want to learn things from other guys and that sort of thing. But it's been, you know, uh, quite a fun transition for me, for sure. We've got some seasoned vets in GM's offices around this league. Warren Reichel, Dale and Mark Hunter. Uh, how difficult is it to kind of... Uh you know, hold your own against guys like that. Yeah, you know what? Initially, it was tough. Uh, you know, initially it was tough. You're going, boy, some big names calling you and some some big arguments you got to get in and battles <laughs> and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, but honestly, at this point, I consider myself, you know, pretty good friends and, and colleagues, really, with everybody around the league. You know, Reichs and I and Windsor are, are good friends. You know, we talk often. You know, I know the Hunters, obviously, Mac, and, and you know, the guys in Kitchener with Murray and just everyone. You know, we, we all kind of get along well and, you know, know what a grind it is, um, you know, that, that we all kind of share. So, I mean, there really is a close kind of GM, you know, fraternity almost that way. And, and at this point, you know, I like to think I'm, I'm kind of seasoned enough that, that I can hold my own with those guys. That's for sure. You mentioned that fraternity. How difficult is it? How different is it? Because, you, you know, you talk about the, the trials and tribulations of the job. But then when you make a phone call, you're also wanting the best end of the deal. And, yeah. you know, you always GMs always say they want oh, a fair deal. But if you can, if you can fleece someone, you want to fleece oh. someone. So how, how difficult is it balancing that? You know what? Absolutely, it is, and and I think kind of the one main piece of that, which is the nice thing of being in the OHL, which is such a cyclical league, uh, you know, that it really becomes easier in the sense, well, you can identify the teams that might be wanting to get older while we're trying to get younger, and you can kind of find your dance partners that way. Where it does become tough, you know, is, for example, for us this year, you know, trying to get a deal done with an Ottawa or a Sudbury, uh, you know, or a London or one of these teams that we're kind of, you know, have been building towards this year and are going against each other. Well, then it's, you know, if you don't like this guy for your team to make a run to beat us, then, you know, why would we kind of want to bring them in to go against you you know and that sort of thing so it's kind of a funny dynamic uh, you know and you have to play both sides of it um, but at the same time I think everyone's very cognizant of the fact that you know business is business and, and everyone's trying to do what's best you know for their organization if the uh, Paquette Robertson deal ends up at 11 draft picks, what was Darren Kiley's opening offer, 15? Yeah, well, you know what? It's uh, it's funny. There were certainly some other names involved that they might have been looking for, you know, that would have significantly lowered the draft picks. Uh, you know, unfortunately, just for us, it, it didn't quite make sense. Uh, you know, but what did make sense was, you know, giving, a, you know, a couple great young players in Constantino and Martin and, and then, you know, overloading it with picks, uh, you know, for a guy that you know they were getting a ton of offers for, uh, you know. So really from our end, you know, we hung on to, to some young players that, that we wanted to, um, you know, and, and while it's never easy, you know, to, to move that many picks for sure, uh, you know, if, if, boy, if we lift a trophy and, and are wearing rings, you know, come June, then, then certainly I think it'll all be worth it. You've been to the OHL final twice. How excited are you for the opportunity here with a loaded up team? Yeah, extremely excited. Uh, you know, certainly the, the previous two times have both been against London, you know, hasn't gone our way, uh, you know, unfortunately, and, and wouldn't the stars aligning have it? It, it looks like London's going to be quite strong again this year, which I don't have to tell you guys. You see them a lot more than uh, than we do for sure, uh, you know, but certainly it, it would be a dream, you know, and, and really to come out of the Eastern Conference and, you know, play for the OHL Championship really would be a dream come true. And, and then, you know, God forbid, if, if we can get through that to, to go out to our first Memorial Cup as an organization, uh, you know, really would would be a dream come true for sure forget london you mentioned your ties to the region with school at laurier would you go easy on us when it's kitchener and niagara in the final yeah no absolutely we will and, and i just asked that uh, that justin mcpherson takes it easy on us because boy that uh, that was a tough one as well and, and he's a great young man doing a nice job with you guys i just got a real quick one before we let you get back to it you mentioned your connection with waterloo region 
you went to school there. How long did it take your parents when you went visiting to show you where they had their wedding ceremony? Because yeah. I heard they had their wedding ceremony on campus. No kidding. Boy, did they ever at uh, the chapel at Laurier there. So it's funny. I'd walk by it every day on the way to class and into the library. So it was always kind of funny, you know, looking at it that way. And, and certainly some strong roots. Uh, you know, my grandparents living out there and, and you know, very some strong roots uh, for the Burks, uh, you know, out in that area for sure. Beautiful region. Joey, thanks for the time. Continued success. Awesome. No, thank you guys very much. My pleasure. So there you hear, straight from the general manager's mouth, and credit to Joey for spending some time with us just before his team played a game against the Kitchener Rangers and answering the questions about the sanctions before we moved on to other things. It's interesting if you go back to 2012 when Windsor was slapped with those sanctions as well. They also appealed initially for Windsor. It was two first-rounders, pardon me, three first-rounders and two second-rounders as well as $400,000. And then it was dropped down to $250,000 and just the two first-rounders. So the rest of the picks were given back to the Windsor Spitfires. And oh yeah, they went on to win a Memorial Cup not long after. But anyway, just to kind of compare the sanctions, and like you said earlier, we don't know really what the violations were, just that the violations were committed. A couple lanes closed here as we approach. Sorry for uh, slamming on the brakes there for you. Uh- <laughs> I wasn't worried at all. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I was. Um, I, I Major sanctions handed down either way. Um, and it's something that Niagara's going to have to deal with. I think those two first rounders are going to be the hardest part. The quarter of a million dollars sure sounds like a lot and looks like a lot. Uh, but the Ber- Burks are... Uh, sitting pretty when it comes to the dollars um they've earned all that they used to own a printing company did very well on that now own the niagara ice dogs um but as good as those ice dogs are the two first rounders those are two big pieces they were going to use to restock the cupboards from going out and making two massive trades this year one with kingston and one with oshawa and we just got to look at them that is a heck of a hockey club up front and a lot of firepower jason robertson only had one assist and they scored 10 goals that's alarming. And yet they're still trailing the best team in the Ontario Hockey League, the Ottawa 67s. So if you consider what the Niagara Ice Dogs and the Guelph Storm, as examples, have done this season, they seem to be headed down the Kingston Frontenac's path of having a real rough year or a real rough couple of years after loading up the way they have this year. So for Niagara, the pressure just ratchets up now because the sanctions have been slapped on them so not only were they already staring down a tough time ahead but it gets all the tougher with the loss of those two first round draft picks and who do they have to go through the top team in the Ontario Hockey League we touched on Ottawa just a little bit in our conversation with Joey Burke now let's hear from the general manager of the top team in the OHL and a man who has been to a couple of OHL championships already 67's general manager, James Boyd. What I like is that uh, we've got a guest in studio. We don't often have this, and this completely dispels the illusion that we do the entire podcast from Pope's parents' basement in St. Jacob's. <laughs> so this is, this is all right, too. Eh? Yeah. Not, not bad digs here. My, it's almost pro. My parents wouldn't let us in, our, in my basement. <laughs> they, they would tell me no. Once you got kicked out, you're out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> James, thanks for uh, making the trip in here to join us on, on this one today. Appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. We were hoping to uh, catch up with you in Ottawa, but since this is the way it's happening, now we can, we can do the deep dive. We can take you back, because I, I need to know, and everybody needs to know, it was that formative 1993-94 season in Kitchener that made you the man and the executive <laughs> you are today, right? 
So it probably set me on the path, you know, is a <laughs> focus on your studies, son. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I, I think uh, when you, when I look back, that was a, it was a great year. You know, first year of major junior hockey, I split the season. I played half the year in, in Milton uh, with the junior age team there. Shane Lehman and I were the two Rangers who traveled back and forth, but got our uh, our feet wet with the big club and uh, had phenomenal bill at home. Less than Helen McCausland here in Kitchener. Oh my gosh, they're still directors, yeah. Oh yeah, great people. And uh, I lived there with Wes Swinson and then Todd Warner after the Olympics came back and, uh, and joined us. And yeah, you know, went to school at Eastwood. It was great. Every, everything about it was great. It was a, it was a great first season to, uh, you know, kind of find out how major junior works. And then, of course, uh, uh, the following season, they Rangers some solid drafting, but it Luch Nisato came in, and all of a sudden, they, you know, we had a little bit more sandpaper, and I guess you could say I became expendable, but went on to Ottawa. And so, yeah, you could say that Kitchener, that first year in Kitchener, uh, created the, a connection with Ottawa. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's how I ended up back there. So it was, uh, I have nothing but fond memories. And, of course, coming back to the odd great building, uh, I get to see a bunch of familiar faces and just phenomenal. The renovations and things they've done, it really has changed over the years. So it's a pleasure. James, your whole OHL career how do you describe it? What do you, what do you tell your, your kids and then eventually grandkids about your OHL career? Oh, uh, you know what? It's, it's, uh, I think the game has changed a lot, mm-hmm. you know, over the years. It's changed, not, it's changed, you know, exponentially. I think where, uh, you know, some of the resources available are players, the emphasis on education, um, the, even the coaching staffs. You know, when I think back when I was – the first year that I coached in the league with Lou Crawford in Belleville, we had a staff of total four, you know. <laughs> and now when I think about our team, we've got, a, uh, of course, a head coach, two capable assistant coaches. We've got a, a goalie coach, a video coach. We've got a skills coach. Uh, you know, uh, we've got, you know, 12 staff that are working closely with the team every day. So when I think back to uh, Kitchener here, you know, he had Joe McDonnell and an assistant coach and, Rick Chambers, the the trainer, and that was kind of, you know, the the bulk of the support staff. So, uh, it's it's a lot different. I think that the, you know, the players are a lot more focused. They have a lot more information. I think they they know an awful lot about the rest of the league. You know, I remember the first first year major junior was kind of you know going for the first time to, you know, the London Ice House. <laughs> oh you <know>? yeah, the <laughs> old. And, yeah. and you really didn't have you know much of an idea of who was on the other teams. You know, Dave Gilmore was a pretty good player. I knew that after one period. <laughs> uh, but it, it took a year to really, you know, climatize yourself and, and get mm-hmm. figured out how that works. So managing your time, and that remains you know, the same for players today. But uh, I find now the players know who everybody is. Mm-hmm. They've played summer hockey and internationally, and they're best of friends with, you know, there's no surprises for them, uh, which is good and, and bad. Uh, you know, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, naivety is a good thing. But, the, but the, you know, now the players are... You know, I think further advanced, the further advanced skill-wise, the further advanced uh, with the knowledge of the league and that sort of thing. So I think when I look back at my major junior career, you say, yeah. I, I think it was, uh, um, you know, it was the best time of my life. I think that uh, I learned an awful lot about myself, uh, you know, time management and how to, inter- you know, I, I changed teams a couple times. Mm-hmm. So, you know, finding your niche on a team and be- becoming part of the team and trusting your teammates and learning from some different coaches, you know, I... Played for Joe McDonnell and uh, Peter Lee uh, in Ottawa, who's a phenomenal coach. And, you know, if you know anything about Peter Lee's career, he went back to Germany and his jersey's retired in two different countries. I think he scored 83 goals with the 67s one mm-hmm. year. And then, uh, uh, you know, Larry Mavity in Belleville. 
And I had a short stand at a training camp in Barrie when Bert Templeton was the head wow. guy there. Oh, my so. goodness. You got some names yeah, there. Yeah, dropping names. yeah. Yeah, but when they never, they don't think of it at the time. But then, you know, you're thinking back on it. You're going, we just really touched on a couple of, uh, you know, coaching legends there. So it was a, it was great. And then, of course, I went to the University of Guelph following my mm-hmm. my junior playing uh, days and had to play for some really good teams there, Marlon Mueller, and then uh, got into coaching right after. So I've been really, really fortunate. I wanted to ask about a couple of things on coaching before we get to Andre Terigny now in Ottawa, who is in his first year like you. But I found it really interesting that you went from school right into coaching. Oftentimes we see guys play somewhere. Maybe it's the East Coast. Maybe it's over in Europe. Colonial leagues, whatever they used to be. But you came out of what was then the OUAA right back into coaching as an assistant with the Belleville Bulls, where you graduated from the Ontario Hockey League from. How was that for you as a 23-year-old, barely older than the overagers on your on your team as an assistant coach? Well, it was good and bad. You know, some of the guys on the team I played with. <laughs> sure. So, <yeah. laughs> so I'm trying to show them what to do on the power play, and they know I never was on the power play. It's, it's, a, little, it's a little difficult. Yeah. <laughs> do this. You didn't do that. You got your point. <laughs> yeah, it was in, you know, again, it's a, a different era where, you know, it wasn't a full-time position. It was, uh, you know, at that time, assistant coaching was, uh, for some of the teams, it was a part-time gig or, you know, a three-quarter time gig. So, uh, you know, not everyone was leaving their day job to take a, a coaching position. I was fortunate that I had a good relationship with the team. And Lou Crawford, who was the head coach there, um, was the assistant coach when, you know, I played for Larry Mavity there. Also fortunate that they were coming off a season where they won the OHL championship and had a bunch of, uh, you know, really solid returning players. Uh, Branislav Mezzi with the 10th overall pick to the to the NHL. Branko Radovojevic. Randy Rowe went on to score, I think, 64 goals with us. Um, Kyle Wellwood was our first-round pick. There was a lot of good players there. John Chichu uh, was on the team. Kevin Baker, 40-goal guy. So it masked a lot of coaching deficiencies. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good, uh, it was the perfect, uh, you know, first gig coming out of school. But I was fortunate that, you know, I had a good relationship with the organization. When the position came available... You know, they reached out to a couple of uh, alumni, and I just happened to be in a little bit of limbo. I hadn't signed a professional contract. was probably looking at the ECHL or the Colonial League or, you know, play some pro hockey. Um, but when the opportunity came up, I started, you know, asking around and quickly figured out this is something I should probably do. But when I, when I took the job, it was the intention of doing it for one year and then going back to school. One year led into two, and then, uh, you know, it's almost 20 years later. <laughs> I've been telling my mom I'm going to go back to school, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen now. What, but, what were you going to take? <laughs> or oh, did you know? Well, some sort of graduate degree. I, I, I like, you know, I really enjoyed my time at the University of Guelph. And, uh, you know, not only for the hockey, but I, you know, really enjoyed uh, student life. So I was still fresh that, you know, maybe I'd do this for a year. And, you know, my some student, some people travel around the world or they take a, you know, a gap year and do some stuff. I figured I'd coach a little bit of hockey and then go back, but. It just, uh, I was really, again, really fortunate that, you know, Jim Halton took over in, uh, in Belleville. After that year, Lou Crawford went on to the American League in St. John's. Um, I, of course, wasn't ready to become the head coach and knew it. J- Jim Halton came in. Uh, he had some experience in the league. Um, became good friends with Jim. We were there for a couple of years. Had some success again. You know, with your Matt Stagens and the Robinson Renzi, uh, um, Jason Spezza. So we had some really exciting teams there as well. And then uh, Jim, of course, went on to Kingston. I became a head coach there, uh, fairly young age. And then, uh, you know, the team was sold at the end of that season and I moved on to St. Mike's um, and stayed there for, well, St. Mike's and the Steelheads for 12 Mm -hmm. years. So I've been really lucky that I've been 
you know, one five years in Belleville and twelve years in Mississauga. It's been a little bit of stability to it too, which has made it really enjoyable. Judging by the first couple of years in Ottawa, I don't think you're going anywhere anytime soon. Even <laughs> <laughs> um, we talked about your playing career, and Mike said like the early '90s. Nowadays, you mentioned that you know the the team back then they brought in some extra grit. The game has changed so much, and you've been around the game and in the game during that entire change. Do you like where it's at now? I think it's really exciting. I think that uh, it's you know the player safety is uh, is uh, first and foremost in the, in the league's mind. I think that's a good thing. I think that the you know the increase of speed and and skill in the game makes it exciting for fans. I think that there's uh, um, you know there there still needs to be some adjustment. You know, players uh, the game is so fast now, and you see some of the some of the injuries of the big collisions. Uh, it's almost uh, you know they should put the red line back in almost <laughs> to take some of the speed out. But uh, you know, back in back in the early '90s or the '80s when I used to watch. OHL hockey, it was a totally different game, you know. I think those the, the years that I played in Belleville in, uh, you know, the mid-'90s, you really didn't want to score the goal to go up four on Larry Matthews' junior team, you know. <laughs> like, just keep it at a nice three. <laughs> keep and, it and at get, a nice yeah, three. Yeah, get out of here. Like, conveniently missed the net a few times there in the third, so I had to avoid the fireworks. <laughs> but, it, uh, you know, knowing what we know now about head injuries and knowing what we know now about uh, – um, you know, players' uh, long-term effects. Uh, I think that you can't condone, uh, you know, the fighting and the nonsense that used to go on. It just uh, doesn't make sense. It's funny. I think uh, if if I remember correctly, one of the assistant coaches with the Ranger team you played for was Mikey Moore, and I remember him as a player in the '80s, jumping into the opposing team's bench like he full-on <laughs> Superman in there. Like I'm ready to take on anybody. That was the game I grew up watching too, and uh, it is much different now. Yeah, well, I think Mike. The funny thing too is Mike looked like an accountant. I know. know? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Kind of like the most professional-looking uh, <laughs> guy in the organization, and then it took us a little bit to figure out. You know, again, you're naive; you don't realize who the, uh, you know, who everybody is. But you realize, you know, this guy's got a reputation, yeah. there, and it just didn't match his personality and in, in the, you know, his appearance. So <laughs> the guys were listening pretty pretty closely after, uh, you know, the, the information came out. You know, they're snapping to attention, but. Uh, yeah, did totally different, uh, totally different era for sure. I wanted to talk a little more about Belleville because we just came through what we've always called the Eastern Swing from here in Kitchener, and Belleville used to be a stop on it. In fact, we made a quick stop outside what used to be the Yardman Arena. We still call it that, but mm-hmm. you know the CAA Arena now. But I kind of miss it. You probably have even a closer feel to it because you played and coached there. How is the league for you without Belleville on the circuit? Oh, I wish Belleville was here. Yeah, you know it's a. Well, especially selfishly being in Ottawa, you know, sure. we're still, yeah. still in our division. But <laughs> makes you know, complete I, sense. There's a nostalgic connection to Belleville. It was, you know, it's where, you know, I kind of solidified my position on a team, and uh, became a member of the community there. Of course, you know, I played there, and then you know, I'd spend some of the some of the time in the summer there. I spent the summers there while I was at the University of Guelph, and then uh, you know, lived there coaching. So I was there for you know almost ten years, but. During the time that I was there as well, it was really a mom-and-pop team. You know, Dr. Vaughn owned the team and uh, some family members involved running the team. And, and uh, you know, we'd hang out at the owner's house. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like it really was a, a family affair. And it was close-knit and the, the community was great. It was, it was like you're playing on a big league team. You know, every, you knew around town, you know, you, you, you understand from the reaction you're getting whether the team was playing well or not, you know. <laughs> They have a they have a pretty good pretty good fan base there. So when the team moved, you know, it really 
it wasn't just the team moving, but you think about all the business owners in the community there and, you know, the, uh, how lively the community was, the, the nights that there was Bulls hockey, uh, the billets, the fans, you know, that really became a social event there. And so that's what I thought about is, that, you know, all those people, uh, you know, uh, that had a close attachment to the team. It's just a shame that the team moved. Now they got the American League team back. It's, I think they do an excellent job, but for me, it's just not the same. You know, it's not junior hockey, it's pro hockey. I've been to a couple of games. The rink's been renovated. It looks fantastic. And, uh, you know, they'll carry on. But for me, the old Belleville Bulls and, and the Olympic ice there was, uh, uh, that's where the nostalgia is. I'm with you. you. You then went on to Mississauga, as you mentioned, or with Toronto St. Mike's at that point. Um, what was the transition like for you? It's not Bell Vegas. No, no, it's not <laughs> Toronto, but I was, uh, you know, living in Toronto uh, uh, part-time at the time, so... Uh, you know, when they made the move, it was almost like a little bit like coming home. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even though I was living in Belleville, family in, in Toronto. So uh, going from Olympic ice to the St. Mike's Arena was a little bit different. Oh, was it ever? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Don't say. And actually, did, you know, kind of the what uh, created the connection with Dave Cameron at St. Mike's was we played a, a seven-game series, uh, our Belleville team, Jimmy Holden and I, and uh, I'm trying to think of the year now, but... Andy Kyoto and Peter Budai were the goal were the goalies at St. Mike's, but we had our team built for the Olympic ice. So we had you know Nate Robinson, Mike Renzi, uh, both small guys who were league you know fast and and could really put the puck in the net. And St. Mike's had the big defensemen, the Nathan McKeevers and the Ryan Wilsons, and and uh, there couldn't be two more opposite teams. And in in the seven game series, neither team could beat the other team at home uh-huh. or you know on the road. Sorry, and it wasn't even close. And we end up losing in Game Seven at St. Mike's in, in dramatic fashion, where Matt Stajan got a high stick, and there was a penalty, and he was our, you know, he was kind of the, the straw that stirred the drink, and he was cut, but we couldn't get him back on the ice because he was bleeding, bleeding. and the refs wouldn't let him back out on the ice. And anyway, not to say that we would have won the game, but <laughs> it, 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 you know, that's a fitting end of that series because it, it just, uh, uh, you know, I guess it was it was closely played, and uh, there's a mutual respect there, and so when. Uh, Bob Jones went to Sudbury, you know, the following summer, uh, uh, and then I left Belleville. Dave, Dave Cameron contacted me and said, hey, we, we should talk here. And it's amazing how during a playoff series or throughout a season, like, you develop a, a re- mutual respect and, you know, there's friendships forged sometimes at the end of the series, but that, that's really what it comes back to is, you know, familiarity and, you know, uh, an opportunity coming up. So, uh, But then, you know, it's definitely a different style of play. And at that time, too, that, that was kind of – Right around the lockout and the rule change, you know the different uh, standard of uh, enforcement being applied. So uh, all of a sudden, the tactics in that small arena, the hooking and holding, we were kind of caught where we had good players, but you know we were uh, we were kind of caught in the in the past. So yeah. we took a lot of penalties there for <laughs> about a year, but um, you know once we got it straightened out, and, and it was just around that time we were moving to Mississauga. So that was that was another interesting chapter where you know we uh had a team that was sold and moved and we moved into their building just on the other side of town is very interesting uh interesting way that went down but uh again to be able to stay in the same area live in the same house uh over a period of 12 years when you're coaching junior that's unusual you mentioned a name there dave cameron you were an assistant to him for numerous years what's that relationship like oh great He's a dear friend, mm-hmm. and uh, we stay in touch. We talk hockey all the time. Yeah. He's in Vienna now. He's coaching Vienna Capitals. A couple of former OHL players 
uh, on his team. Matt Clark, big defenseman, played in Brampton. Uh, Chris D'Souza, who played for us yeah. in Mississauga. Yeah, so he's doing very well. Their team's extremely competitive. Uh, you know, he's enjoying life over there. He lives in Vienna and uh, PI in the summertime. So most of the time, I'm jealous. I'm not talking. It's, to him. it's not so bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some different different locale. He's living on the ocean, or whatever. But he's a, he's Dave's a real straight shooter, and uh, you know, there's no gray area, mm-hmm. which you really appreciate when you're working with somebody. Um, but you know, he's kind of dual persona. I think Dave's extremely serious when he's at the rink, but he's also a super kind-hearted guy who's really, really funny, and I really enjoy spending time with him. So we had we had some a lot of fun, you know, coaching together. But you know, we become really good friends, and we always stay in touch. This history uh, that we're talking about, Toronto St. Mike's, Mississauga, et cetera, uh, you mentioned uh, Brampton, right, the other team. The GTA has always seemed like a bit of a square peg in the round hole that is the OHL. Uh, but having been in it at the level you were, kind of from the inside, what's hockey, what's, what's junior hockey, major junior in the GTA? Well, I, you know, I've given up trying to explain it. You know, <laughs> there, but there's a lot of really smart people who are working really, really hard uh, with both, I'd say Mike's downtown and in Mississauga, and it's extremely difficult to sell. And, you know, the way I describe it is you're selling every single ticket for every single game, you know. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's, diff- it's difficult to explain. You know, we get the discouraging part for me was when you get deep into the playoffs in, in the GTA. That's where it becomes really – or the teams that I was associated with, that's where it becomes really obvious. We played Game 7 of the OHL Final at home. And I think there was 3,500 people from Owen Sound. Darn yeah. right. For you sure know, it was. They beat yeah. us sure. in overtime, and then there was a traffic jam, <laughs> you know, to, All Shel- the way back. to Shelburne yeah. Yeah. and beyond. So, I mean, it's, That's a true story. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's, I mean, that's, that's a great junior hockey story, but that stings. You know, when you come out for the start of the game and, and the majority of the fans are wearing the opposition jerseys and you're at home, it's a, it's a different atmosphere. And then, you know, in just a few years ago, uh, year before last, we were playing Erie in the finals, and you know you get back-to-back games, and you know there's seven thousand or sixty-nine hundred in in Erie on Thursday, and then you know you come home and uh, the crowd's quite a bit leaner. So I think it can work. I think that uh, they're doing an awful lot of work uh, in Mississauga. There, there's some good people there. They're doing the work. It's just extremely slow uh, to come along, but. You know, some innovative ideas and a good team, you know, building a fan base. You know, when back in 93, 94, when I was playing, you know, here in Kitchener for the Rangers, they were, there were some pretty lean crowds oh, at that time. Oh, were there mm-hmm. ever. That was, that was, those were the dark days. Yeah. Yeah. Those were the dark days. And then, and, you know, our main rival were the, were the Knights down at the Ice House who, you know, were drawing 1,000 people. Mm-hmm. So, that was right around the time of their three-win season. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was exactly <laughs> where it was. So, you know, you think, well, you know, at that time everyone said, you know, that this is never, you know, this is... You know, a tough road to hoe, or it's, it's never going to work. Uh, well, look at these two franchises now. For sure. So I think you got to have real long-term perspective and uh, some patience. But I think the right people are there in Mississauga, and now with with uh, you know Branton off to North Bay uh, in a great locale there. I think Mississauga can work. Do you think the league needs to make it work in the GTA? Uh, I don't know. I never thought about that. You know, it's uh um. It's definitely convenient. You know, <laughs> scouts like it. Yeah. Scouts, scouts, <laughs> scouts like it. I think that, uh, you know, the real concentration. I live in the GTA. Mm-hmm. You know, I commute back and forth to, to Ottawa when need be, but I can watch uh, OHL games within two hours of my home every, you know, four or five times a week. So it's easy to shoot up to Kitchener or Guelph or Mississauga. I think 
by having some of the teams in close proximity, it eliminates a lot of travel for teams. And I think there's a lot of players that come out of the GTA mm-hmm. that by having a team there get some exposure to the league. So uh, I don't think that they need to make it work, but I think uh, it's good for the league to have a team there. You mentioned that uh, OHL finals appearance versus Erie. Did you know that uh, once you had attained that, it was time to move on to a new challenge? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think, you know, I'd been in, I'd been in the same spot for a long time. And I'd coached, you know, for coach and GM for a couple of years. And really the last two years, I probably shouldn't have done it. Hmm. You know, because I had, I had a young family at home and I thought, you know, really, you know, if I, I'm going to miss coaching so much, you know, that I, I, can't, I don't want to give this up. Well, the truth is, once, you know, I assume that just the general managers, well, I don't miss coaching one bit. <laughs> you know, so I think back, geez, why did I do that? But uh, I've got a young family at home. I've got a lot of flexibility. And, uh, uh, you know, I still watch a lot of hockey, and I, I get to do the hockey stuff and, a little, and now some more interesting business stuff as well. But uh, for me, doing the coach and GM thing, at the same time, it was just too much, you know, with the infants at home and, uh, you know, different stuff going on. So it was either be a bad dad or a bad coach. And, uh, you know, we'll just leave the coaching alone and concentrate on the kids. Uh, but uh, it, it did feel like I'd been there a long time. I think that uh, the fact removed from, from the bench and from the coaching and the ability to move around a little bit gave me, a, like, a greater perspective on the hockey world. I didn't know that Ottawa was going to be the, you know, the end destination and uh, really a great scenario where I'm, a, I'm able to live at home and have you know, really some flexibility with a real strong support staff there in Ottawa. But I was thinking a uh, possible NHL scouting job or you know, getting into to something different. But it was definitely time for change. I wasn't sure what that change would be. It's working out well in Ottawa. Yep. <laughs> um, it's amazing how those things happen. Sometimes uh, you know, by uh, uh, stepping away, uh, you realize what opportunities are out there. A oh. lot of fans, sorry, Pope, no, go ahead. They, they think about the role, the dual role, as maybe being uh, the best of both worlds because, you know, you're the manager that puts the players on the ice that the coach has to coach. But can you take us inside the day-to-day? I mean, this is a, like you talked about. It's either going to be a bad coach or a bad father. Like, what's the life like when you're a head coach and a general manager at this level? Well, I think it really depends on your personality. And I think that, you know, you have to, in order to do both, you have to be a master delegator. And you have to be able to, you know, trust people to do uh, a lot of things. So you're not going to be able to see the, the, you know, you're not going to be able to scout all the players. You're not going to be able to meet with all the parents. Um, But if you've got a trusted lieutenant that is able to do that, then, yeah, I think it can work. I think that where I get into difficulties as Coach GM was you get in there and, uh, uh, you know, you got your day planned out and, uh, you know, you can schedule your work. But if... You know, someone doesn't show up at school. Uh, well, the right thing to do is to go over to the school or the bill at home and find out what's going on and communicate with the parents and, uh, you know, get to the bottom of it. Well, by the time you've done that, now it's 1130 and the guys are coming in for practice and you haven't done a thing. <laughs> you know, so so there's a lot going on now with, you know, off the ice, player safety, player initiatives, uh, you know, the part- team's uh, partnership with the CMHA, all great stuff. But the scope of the job has grown you know, immensely. So I think uh, uh, if, you can, if you can delegate things and, and kind of step aside and, and do that, then, yeah, it can work. I like, uh, I, you know, really the, something that I really enjoy is the scouting and, and the recruiting portion, meeting with the, you know, getting out there, watching games, meeting with the parents and the kids and, 
you know, telling them about your program and, you know, scouting the league for trades, getting out there and knowing, you know, all the personnel in the league, talking to the scouts in the stands and the media personalities. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put that in there. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, finding out, like really digging, doing the deep dive of who, you know, what, you know, we always talk in Ottawa, but we're not looking for, you know, a player. We're looking for the player. Like who's best for us? And I think that that requires a lot of, a lot of background work. And I really enjoy that stuff. So uh, that's where the GM thing becomes really fun for me. And, uh, you know, you get to really explore that. There's well some business stuff too. I wasn't so, I wasn't involved in the business stuff when I was, you know, coaching GM, but now I'm learning a lot more about the, the business side and, you know, ticketing and marketing and that sort of thing, which is really, really interesting. You mentioned uh, when you guys lost the OHL final on home ice yep. against uh, Owen Sound, you had a, uh, overweight, bald reporter, young reporter at that time covering the team. It was myself. Um, moving forward, when you actually um, won, and w- w- you, you make it back with Erie again, what was that feeling like when you went back to it? When you went back facing Erie in that in that OHL final? Well, I think it was a long time coming. Yeah, right. Y- yeah, yeah, years. Um, but you realize how close it is, right? Yeah. And also, you know, you. Realize when you get to like championship caliber hockey, you're talking, you know, the post. <laughs> you're talking a post. You're talking about, you know, uh, a puck off a skate. Uh, you know, it's extremely the margin for error is just so, so slim. So, you know, we're talking about in Ottawa, and uh, you know, we're lucky that we still have Brian Kilray on staff. Uh, you know, does some scouting, plays some golf, uh, <laughs> provides opinions. Killer's great. In all those in all those years. Uh, you know, Killer was coaching all those great players. Uh, really, it's three trips, you know, three championships, one of which was uh, as the host you know, in, in 1996. So Crazy. It is so hard to win. I mean, you think of some of the coaches that come through that had an opportunity to coach against, become friends with, and, you know, Peter DeBoer, for example. Of all those teams, you know, in Plymouth and Kitchener, all those championship-caliber teams and all the NHL players, it's extremely hard to win. You know, so you get a new appreciation for it. It's still elusive, you know, for me personally. Mm-hmm. It's something that drives me every day that, you know, you want to you want to you wanna get back there and you want to win a championship, but it's a super competitive league. And, you know, you, your day-to-day is, uh, you know, you, you realize, oh, well, you know what, we could really stand upgrade at, you know, name a position, left wing. And you start making the phone calls, well, you're calling Dale Howard, Chuck, you're calling Mark Hunter, you're calling, <laughs> right? You're you're it is there's some capable people or Warren Reichels of the world you know try calling Warren Reichel and lowball off him and see what happens right what but, did happen no. <laughs> you might get a, yeah you might get a punch in the mouth but it's uh it, it's really competitive and you know really capable people know you know it's a you got to be on your toes and that's what I really enjoy about working in this league all right that's what we need to get to this is the question that everybody has on mm-hmm. their mind and has had since it happened what kind of voodoo magic or pixie dust did you sprinkle over Warren Reichel's desk in Windsor to get Michael DiPietro, the best goalie in this country, in our opinion, onto your team without giving up a roster player? Well, there's a couple of components to it. The first one I like to think is Warren and I are friends. Uh, <laughs> the second is he's not taking your calls anymore. Yes. No, 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 no. Well, you're going to find out here in the future, but you know, Warren, Warren's son played for us in Mississauga. You know, we had Kirby Reichel, right. uh, who, of course, was drafted by Barry, and we traded for Kirby. And then, uh, you know, at the trade deadline, moved him on to Windsor. So Warren was a parent on our team there for, for a while. Mm. And through that whole process, got to know Warren, became friends with Warren. And then, you know, over the years, you know, of course, we're, uh, we're connected professionally. But, 
we've also, uh, you know, spent a lot of time together in international tournaments and that sort of thing. And so we get along great. The, the, the Mikey dialogue started last year. You know, there was kind of some rumors around that he was going to be moved, so we started talking about it. Uh, but really, this year is they were, you know, there's a real appetite in Windsor to, to get Mikey to a team that had a chance to win. So until you know our team has started having some success and you know end up you know at the top of the the leaderboard or the standings, uh, then it became all right. Hey, listen, we'd like to get Mikey to you guys because he's done so much for our for our organization. Uh, you know, just the background on 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 Mikey is you know his reputation precedes him in the league with the community involvement and all all the good stuff. So um, you know, Warren and I were able to work it out. But the key to the deal is Igor Afanasyev who is one heck of a player. And Igor, we drafted in the seventh round. He's committed to Michigan State. He plays in Muskegon in the USHL. He'll, he'll likely be a first-round pick to the NHL this year. He's going to come in and score, you know, I'm going to guess 40 goals wow. next year. He's a big-time player. So, you know, when you look at it, well, we didn't give up a roster player. Well, not a roster player this year, but next year you may be looking at the situation saying, ooh, that's a heck of a trade for both teams. And, you know, if Igor d- doesn't come, then uh, – you know, they get some extra draft picks that they can build their team with. So it's still, uh, you know, one of the bigger trades that we've made in franchise history. If I think if Afanasyev ends up in Windsor, it's a big-time win-win for both teams. Uh, and, you know, they made all the right, uh, you know, with the draft picks. So uh, I think that uh, time will tell. But, uh, you know, we know they have a track record of recruiting, and Igor lives close by, uh, just over the river in Detroit. So it seems to be a good fit. Can you take us to that that day where you did make the trade and it finally went through? Obviously, there's dialect, I'm assuming, you know, as you said, leading up to the actual day that it finalizes. But is it the type of thing that we kind of saw, like, in the movie Moneyball, where you're in a room with a couple guys and you're like, I think we're going to get them. We're going to get them. And then all of a sudden, the phone rings, you're like, oh, we got Mikey. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, I wish it happened like that. <laughs> Not nearly as exciting. Yeah. No, it's one of those things where, the, you know, the, the, the detail is the key you know, to a trade like that. Mm-hmm. So you're so focused on, you know, when things start to heat up and, okay, this is happening, that you're trying to get all those details right, uh, that you don't really have time to sit back and say, you know, rub your, you yeah. wring your hands together. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, a, <laughs> so it's, uh, uh, you know, when the trade is done, it's kind of, you know, that's, that's over. Yeah. You know, the, I get on the phone to make the travel arrangements and then, go sleep for 12 hours. It's kind of <laughs> kind of thing. But it was an interesting, um, you know, days following because, of course, Mike came to Ottawa and played a game and then left for World Juniors. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, it was a whirlwind. Um, you know, actually, he was in Ottawa. He came to Ottawa and practiced with the team, and then he returned to Windsor for a, a charity event for his foundation and then came back uh, and played the, the Saturday game against Gatineau. So his first game in uh, yeah. the OHL was against the Quebec League team, and then he, he went <laughs> off to the, to the World Juniors, so. It was, uh, I say, we had a feeling it was going to happen, you know, probably sometime in October, but, you know, you never, until he walks in with his hockey bag on his shoulder, you never really, you know, yeah. believe it. You, you talked, James, about the dialogue beginning into last season and putting Mikey in a position where he's going to be with a team that has a chance, and clearly the Ottawa 67s have been that team pretty much since the get-go this season. Is this a case of you can never have enough goaltending? Because Cedric Andre was going just fine for you, your team was top of the league, and yet you decided it was necessary, something you wanted to do as an organization, to add the likes of Di Pietro. Yeah, we were really happy with like this is that probably 
put us in a position to strengthen making the deal. You know, if we if we were desperate for, for goaltending, sure. uh, it probably would have looked totally different. But no, yeah, we were we were happy with our goaltending. We um, Will Cranley, you know, was our backup the first part of the season. Will was gone for a stretch to the under seventeen. Tremendous goaltending prospect. Uh, he stopped fifty two shots uh, last uh, last Saturday, I believe. For uh, oh yeah, I saw. It. Yep, that's yeah. right. So he's, he's had a couple games. He's done more than fifty shots for wins. Uh, so we love Will. Uh, he work, you know, he works. Works with our team uh, weekly, and he's he's getting those games in Navin, so that's a key. But for us, it was more about experience. You know, we're adding leadership and experience, and 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 playoff experience. So guys that have been there, done that, and you know can kind of shepherd, you know, along the way uh, through the second half of the season into the playoffs. And that's what we felt with, you know, Kyle Maximovich. Uh, of course, the haunts us from our time in Mississauga there in the, in the finals. Um, <laughs> You know, Lucas Chioto and Di Pietro was that was really our criteria. We're looking for players who had leadership skills, good people who've been deep in the playoffs and know know what it takes. And so, uh, you know, we upgrade our goaltending. Uh, and you know, it never hurts to have a one-two punch. There's been some, you know, in the past in Ottawa. There's there's a tradition there. Levente Zuper and uh, um, Seamus Kotick, and you know, having uh, two capable goalies. Uh, uh, you know Peter Budai in Kyoto and in, in in Toronto, uh, so uh, I think that anytime you got a chance to add a player in the league who's the best at their position or someone you feel is the best at their position, you got to do it. You mentioned during the deadline and leading up to it that you wouldn't or you didn't want to or wouldn't trade a player on your roster. You've also talked about the chemistry on your team right now and how tight they are. Is that why? Yep, that's a big part of it. And our coach, our coaches love our young players. So, you know, when it comes to uh, we're gonna. You know, we want to move out a 16-year-old or a 17-year-old. It's just flat out no way. You know, we yeah. and we're never in a position where we were in trouble at any position. You know, we did, didn't desperately need, uh, you know, any any player. But we also the the chemistry that you know that our team has this year that doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm at a loss to explain how it happens. You know, but I've seen it you know two or three times over the 19, 20 years I've been doing this. It's it's special. You know, they're they're close knit. They're they're really good friends. They they do everything together, and uh, you know we didn't want to do anything where we we're making a blockbuster and you know sending three players out and upsetting the chemistry of the team. So we said, you know what, if we can add if we can add some veteran presence and uh, you know still manage to hang on to the guys, then that's great. And we thought we could do that because draft picks are at a premium, and we had an abundance of draft picks. So uh, you know we made some deals that you know we're, we're I think sensible for both teams and uh you know some teams got some draft picks they need to rebuild their clubs and uh we were able to hang on to our young guys but it's uh we also have some young young uh uh players from ottawa you know who live at home and that was a big thing too was uh you know it's uh we like having local players Mm -hmm. and uh you know some of those players were you know players that other teams coveted in trades and we just simply weren't going to do it what is andre trigny lured over from the queue to coach here in Ottawa meant for your organization? Well, I think he has 99% uh, to do with the team's success. I think he's the, he's the guy who's there every day. He manages the schedule. Uh, he communicates with the players. Uh, he's got a sterling reputation, you know, in the, in the Quebec League and in the NHL as an assistant, but he's on top of it. You know, our team is detail-oriented, and uh, those coaches are in the office all day, every day. And they got individual plans for every player, and there's skill development going on and fitness stuff 
And, uh, you know, the, every player on our team is treated the same. So we're focused on developing our 16-year-olds. We're focusing on getting pro contracts for our 20-year-olds. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all in. Uh, but Andre, is a, he's a taskmaster, but he's genuinely interested in the players, in their personal life, and in their future. And I think the players recognize that. And, and uh, I think our effort on, on the ice and the cohesiveness of our team you know, reflects that. I think that uh, uh, the Bears, we call him, is quite a character. <laughs> um, but he's, he's extremely good at what he does. You guys came on in the same year. I think you were hired a, a day or two before, maybe. There's the same press conference announcement anyway. But yeah. his hiring, did did they ask for your input? Did they leave it solely up to you because it happened so close together? How did him coming to Ottawa at the same time, essentially, uh, come to be? Well, we were hired at the exact same time. Yeah. <laughs> the exact same time? <laughs> the exact same time. <laughs> but I knew Andre going back to uh, when I was coaching with Dave Cameron. Andre was an assistant coach with the World Junior Team in 2010 or uh, 2011. So I got to know Andre... Uh, through that um, process, and then, you know, in the years following, Andre brought his Ryan Noranda team to Ontario to play exhibition games, and they put it played against Spotters Rangers and yep. against yeah, us in, Miss- in Mississauga. And uh, then, of course, there's always players that are transferring, you know, changing league to league, and so you need someone you trust in the other league. So we stay in contact with Andre that way. Then Andre went on to the coach in the National Hockey League and as an assistant in Colorado, and then in Ottawa with Dave Cameron. You know, where Dave was the head coach. So I was hanging around those teams all the time. And, <laughs> you know, so run into, you know, you, you, you develop a friendship with somebody. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and I knew his reputation professionally, but I just, I really like him. So when the job came open in, uh, in, in Ottawa, and I met with the Jeff Hunt and the group in Ottawa, and, uh, and they said, oh, what, what do you think about this guy? And I said, oh, he's great. And, uh, you know, they said, well, we've been talking to him about, you know, coming here too. And I said, well, how, how are you going to do that? You know, <laughs> <laughs> he's the coach of the Halifax team. And so uh, it just so happened that Bobby Smith, who owns the Halifax team, is a, you know, one of the 67's great alumni. And Andre's um, kids are still in high school in Ottawa. You know, oh, so, wow. uh, so for family reasons, um, you know, he, when the opportunity to come home, uh, Andre jumped at it. But the whole thing kind of happened and then, you know, after the press conference, we were sitting in a restaurant wondering, like, what just, what's going on here? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, did this just happen? But uh, it's been exciting. It's been great. You know, over the first year, uh, um, you know, I say we see, we see things very similarly. I think that uh, there's, a, there's a plan in place. We're sticking to the plan. And uh, there's a lot of communication going on. Like I said, I live in Toronto, and he's in Ottawa. But, uh, you know, he... Uh, uh, you know, he keeps me up to speed with what's happening, and I do the same in the hockey world. So sometimes it comes down to, you know, we, we need this type, you know, we're looking for this type of player, and I say, okay, I'll see you in three weeks. You know, <laughs> I'm going to hit the road. But, uh, you know, I, they don't need me around there critiquing practice, and uh, Andre trusts me to, you know, I know what type of players he likes. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we're out looking for those players, and hopefully we can, uh, you know, uh, hit it out of the park in the, in the draft here this year and uh, c- continue success. You mentioned there's a plan. And the other 19 other general managers are going to want to know the answer. What is that plan? <laughs> How does it work? <laughs> what is the plan, James? <laughs> well, you know what? Part of the plan right now is that the, uh, or part of the plan coming to fruition is that the team took it on the chin before we were there. You know, there was a, uh, the team went with uh, four young defensemen, uh, you know, 16-year-olds, uh, the season before uh, we arrived. And so what we've got now is a big, strong, 
you know, very capable defense who kind of, you know, learned <laughs> the hard way. The, yeah, learned the hard <laughs> way the year before we got there. So that's a big part of it. But, um, you know, they, I think Andre's, like I said before, Andre's done a really good job of, you know, uh, making each of the players feel a big part of the team and uh, building a, you know, real team uh, DNA, we call it, you know, a way that we want to play and, and uh, you know, making a, everyone feel valued. So I think that, you know, our team is uh, is more the sum of its parts than individual play. I think that, um, you know, it's a true team, which is which is great to watch. And it's been a really, really fun year to see, see them have some success. I don't want to document the heartbreak, but I do want to go back to your your career, particularly as head coach GM, but even after that cup of coffee in Kitchener as a player, you've spent pretty much all your time in what is now the Eastern Conference. And Owen Sound, you mentioned that seven-game series, the attack come out on top. OHL final, Erie comes out on top. Things have started to change a little bit. We have an Oshawa recently winning out of the East, Hamilton last year. But being in the Eastern Conference, and, and you've got this team that's top of the league, is there is there as much a discrepancy as we sometimes think there is between West versus East? There's no question the results have shown over the last 10 or 15 years, West has dominated. But do you have to try to develop a team in the East that is like these Western teams that have been successful, or is that overplayed perhaps in the media? Uh, well, I think there's definitely, the West has been stronger. You know, I remember, think just a few years ago, you got three teams with 100 points, you know, coming out of the same right. division. So usually, you know, in the West, you got one of the top teams in the league that's exiting in the second round, mm-hmm. you know, just because someone someone has to lose. I think that... You know, in the in the East, teams have done a pretty good job, of, pretty good jobs of drafting. That I think that there's going there's some really good young talent in the East. I think some better teams coming out of the East over the last couple of years. But there definitely is that arms race. You know, in the far southwest of the province, uh, where you got some uh, pretty attractive places for players to play and some really good drafting going on. That uh, you know, that's the that's the standard for the league is uh, matching. Uh, you know, the the teams from uh, highway. Highway Six West, you know? <laughs> um, but they do a great job. So you know, we want you want to be the best in the league. That's that's your benchmark, and you better get out scouting, and you better get talking to some parents and let them know the good things that are going on in your community, um, because uh, they certainly have done a great job. But I think in the in the next few years, the East is going to be extremely competitive. There's some teams that are shaping up, and we might even see a, a change in the balance of power there. Ottawa's got to be a pretty. I don't want to say easy. I don't want to make it sound like your job is easy, but certainly the city itself. Has got a lot to offer. Yeah, it's 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 a great city, of course, the nation's capital, mm-hmm. but uh, two great universities, <clears throat> a, uh, a college with, with some great programs that appeals to uh, you know the bilingual players in the province, um, a lot of whom have family in Ottawa, and uh, uh, you know it's a uh, it's definitely cold, but uh, <laughs> we noticed, yeah, windy, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, that doesn't seem to be an issue. We're just coming off a winter lewd, really sunny and uh, a great winter lewd festival. So it's a it's a unique city, but it is uh, you know when, when people come to visit, it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a pretty nice spot. So I think getting the message out, you know, to the to the families and the players, the players that we've drafted, you know, our prospects about uh, you know the development program we got going on and the benefits of the city, and uh, you know it's it's become attractive for for most of them. So. Um, you know, a lot of it is, uh, um, you know, just getting out there and, and spreading the message. Um, it's amazing if you, you can't assume that people know a lot about your community or 
you got to get out there, you got to educate them and answer the questions. So it requires a lot of time on the road and a lot of face-to-face, but that's what it's all about. Yeah. As a, as a general manager, James, in order of, I guess, importance or emphasis, where do you, where do you rank drafting and recruiting, developing, and then in-season moves when it comes to building an OHL hockey club? Developing slash recruiting, or uh, sorry, drafting and recruiting, developing, and then in-season moves and tinkers with the team. Well, I think that your development is as important as your drafting and recruiting. And, and some of that is out of your hands, but, uh, you know, staying on top of, you know, where your prospects are and how they're developing and who they're playing for. And, uh, you know, if, if you can uh, shepherd them along the way, then that's great. Um, the developing is, you know, when your players who are joined your team, uh, getting in a skills coach or skating coach and, you know, doing the video and all the extra stuff, uh, that's as important as drafting, you know, helping players to get onto their next step. So the two are hand in hand. But for me, you know, when, when you're drafting, you got to find players that fit, you know, fit in with your program too. You know, players that, you know, are are interested in, uh, you know, bettering themselves as hockey players, but they're also interested in their academics and, uh, you know, whatever else your values lie. So doing doing a bit of homework there and making sure that you're getting the players that fit best into your team culture is really important because they're the players that are going to have. Uh, you know, positive experience, and they're going to be able to put in 100% every day. So, uh, you know, the situations are different for everybody, but with, uh, you know, by making some phone calls and meeting with some people, you can find out exactly who fits best for you. And then if you do well with your drafting and you do well with your development, then hopefully you don't have to make many in-season moves. You know, you can develop them from within and add a piece here or there. But really, I think if you talk to, you know, most operators in junior hockey, most GMs, you don't want to trade players. Mm-hmm. You know, if we could draft players and keep them and, and, you know, never have any holes or any misses, then that'd be perfect. <laughs> but, uh, you know, by limiting those moves, by, uh, uh, you know, drafting well, developing well, I think is the ideal situation. And lastly, I think we've taken up enough yeah, of your time Yeah, I was going to say, this whole thing started with me sending an email to Boydy from the bus. Hey, can we get you for 15 <laughs> minutes before the game on Sunday? It works out. I'll come into the studio. We'll do the podcast 45 minutes later. <laughs> I, but we have somebody with the Ottawa 67s organization, both a former player and now a general manager. And we'd be idiots if we didn't ask for a killer story. Everybody linked to Ottawa, maybe even in the OHL, has a killer story. Can you give us your best killer story? Oh, geez, there's too many. There's too many. <laughs> Toss a couple at us. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, you know, I think there, there really is too many. But I'll tell you, this is a funny one. And I'm, I'm, Killer introduced me, I think, uh, this way, you know, the meet, the meet the team thing. And Killer was the GM, as I mentioned. Peter Lee was the coach. But So he introduces the players, and Killer has like a cheap shot for each of the players that goes up, you know. And he said, uh, this is James Boyd, and he's a second-year player. And with a lot of hard work and a little bit of luck, he'll be a third-year player. <laughs> you know, that was the, the intro to the fans, you know, innovation there. But, uh, you know, the killer is, uh, he's forgotten more about hockey than most people will ever know. He's at that stage. He still scouts for us, you know. He scouts a couple games a week, comes to all the major events, the Silver Stick, the Marley Tournament. Uh, you know, he's on the road doing different Hall of Fame events and that, and he's, you know, mid-80s. So he golfs in the summertime with, you know, Bert O'Brien, who is his uh, longtime assistant coach and, you know, close friend. And, uh, you know, I think uh, uh, he's a legend. He's a living legend. And I think if, uh, you know, what a life. If that's, 
you know, you co- you coach coach hockey for that many years, you end up in the Hall of Fame, and then uh, get to golf uh, every day with your best <laughs> with your best buddy yeah. and uh, and watch hockey. It's phenomenal. So it's a pleasure to be able to work with them. Amen to that. We had some names earlier with Templeton and and Mavity, and we saw Mr. Mavity in, in Kingston this weekend. We'll have to bring you back just for a special uh, name drop storytelling podcast. Yeah, yeah well, I'll try to. Uh, I'll, when I'm prompted, I'll try to remember some better stories that uh, you can share on the air. Yeah, yeah that, those, <laughs> but, uh, that's the issue. A lot of the killer sometimes. stories can be shared off the air. Sometimes. As long as you go high off the glass, that's all I'm told. That's right. As off long as you go now, off the glass right. and out. <laughs> James, thanks so much. We really appreciate the time. My pleasure, guys. Two general managers on this week's edition of the Firewall and Pope podcast, and two times each they've been to an OHL final, but no championships to show for either of them. So we've got two general managers in the OHL and two clowns who cover the OHL on the same podcast. It's, it's a pretty good week for us. I, I'd say. I, I can't <laughs> believe they both said yes. <laughs> Can I just tell you again, just to remind you, to point out the way it worked out with James Boyd. We were on the bus to Ottawa. I sent an email. He said, sorry, I'm not going to be in Ottawa this weekend, but here's my phone number. I would be happy to connect over the phone sometime next week. So we arranged it and through the arrangement, when we first had asked, can we get you for 15 minutes before the 67's Rangers game on Sunday? We go back and forth a little bit over email, and when we set it up for a night earlier this week, he says, oh, you know what, I'll come into studio. And suddenly the 15 minutes turned into 49, but James Boyd didn't shy away from having a nice conversation with us. We had some fun with him. Not to mention he drove from Brantford to Kitchener. He lives in Toronto. <laughs> he went completely out of his way, so... Both general managers of two of the best teams in the Ontario Hockey League this year. Uh, Joey Burke, I can't say enough. For one, for answering questions about everything that's been going on. Two, agreeing to the interview while everything's been going on. It's not uncommon for people to try to dodge, even if it is two clowns doing a podcast. It's not uncommon for general managers and people alike in a negative situation to shy away from the issue and not want to talk about it. And we've talked about that on past editions of this podcast. But for Joey Burke to say, yep, no problem, welcome us and do a 15-minute interview and answer every question we had he didn't really dodge any other than it's under appeal and I don't I can't really say anything else because it is a legal matter so he doesn't want to get in trouble himself and then for James Boyd to drive from Brantford to just come in and sit for 45 minutes and answer our questions that was a really insightful interview I thought we got a lot of great stories out of him um, and it's those type of people that make this league so special so speaking of clowns before we let you go on this episode of the podcast I I, I gotta say and I, I admit well, first of all, I'm a little bit reluctant to, to do some name-calling, but I'm calling this individual a clown, even though I don't know him by name. But he knows who he is, I hope, when he hears this story. When it comes to what we do for a living in, in sports broadcasting, I, I'm a little bit old school. But I think the rules are pretty simple when it comes to doing a sports broadcast in a press box. You, you put on a tie. I think that's a, it's a nice tradition to continue. And when you're in the press box, you're not there to cheer. No matter what, you're not there to cheer. And when we were at the Meridian Center for Rangers Ice Dogs, there was a guy in the press box area right next to our seat, standing and cheering and reacting and just... He, he should have had a ticket, is all I'm saying. That is not the upper bowl of a rink. That is a press box. And whether you are in the press box as a member of the press or you're in the press box as a guest, you do not cheer Please and thank you. End of story. That was embarrassing to look at. I'm I'm a little lenient even on the rules. We were sitting there and we were trying to talk about what are the rules of a press box. <laughs> and you mentioned the tie. 
and I thought, well, you know, food and stuff, food's allowed. We, you're human. You have to eat. You mentioned the tie. I, my great grandfather, I used to call him Papa Tie growing up because I never saw him a day in his life without a tie. It could be the middle of July and we could be at a picnic. He was in a, a jacket or a shirt and tie every time. Papa Tie, that's what he was known as. That's what I've always called him. I was always raised, you dress for the job you want, not the job that you have. It's better to be overdressed than underdressed. Little, th- And maybe that's the old school that's been driven into me. And I, I like wearing a tie to a game. Makes me feel like I'm going to a, going to a hockey game. I'm, I'm prepped right. I'm a... I'm in a business. Um, I'm okay if you don't wear a tie. If you don't want to wear a tie, don't wear a tie. If you if your job allows you to wear a t-shirt and a, or a golf shirt, wear a golf shirt. I don't care about that. It really doesn't matter to me. I dress how I want to dress. I'm not going to tell someone else how to dress. But the only rule in a press box is there's no cheering. That There was a book written. It was called, There's No Cheering in the Press Box. <laughs> like It's pretty simple. And if you're... He wasn't a member of the press. He was there as a guest. That person who brought him needs to tell him, you're in the press box. There is no cheering. It's just you don't. You do not cheer. You are impartial. And we try our best to be impartial on the broadcast. We cover one team 68 games a season. That's our job to cover that team. There's one rule in the press box, and everyone follows it. There's no cheering in the press box. To all of our fellow media colleagues who are in the print business, keep on showing up with your messy hair and your sweatshirts because I love that. That's part of the, as I'm going to steal Bob McCowan's line, but I've used it many times and I love it, ink-stained wretches. That's part of your look. That's part of your shtick. Keep it up, Payette, you with your tussled hair and your toque. That's fine. Look as grungy as you want. But for sports broadcasters, even if they're just on the radio, any of you young kids out there right now, I'm telling you, put on a tie. I'm I'm sorry, I'm standing firm on that one. But more than anything, do not cheer ever in a press box. Simple tie it up. There's no cheering in the press box. I'm Farwell. And I'm Pope. And that is put on a tie and don't cheer. The Farwell and Pope podcast. This has been the Farwell and Pope podcast, posted weekly. If you have questions, topics, or a story you would like to be covered, simply email mike at 570news.com. The Farwell and Pope podcast originates from the 570 News studio in Kitchener. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.